Before we jump into today's episode, if you haven't already, go check out Ostrich. We're all about improving your financial literacy, financial well-being, and helping you get to where you want to be financially. And uh, we've actually rolled out a really cool program that I'm excited to announce. It's called Shares for Shares. And we're actually giving away shares of stock in our company uh, for sharing our network and helping grow the network. So go to getostrich.com, sign up, start sharing, and you can earn uh, a limited number of referral shares that we've got available. Hello and welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited you could join me today. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. Now on the Silicon Alley Podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs and top performers to understand what it truly takes to grow and scale a business. You'll get actual advice that you can apply in your own business and life. Now on today's episode, I sit down with Ben Sampson, co-founder of WeHero. Before I jump into his background and why I'm so pumped for today's episode, if you have not already, subscribe and follow the Silicon Alley podcast so you get notified when a new episode drops every Friday. And if you hear something you like, be sure to share the podcast with others on social media, text, email, or however you prefer. So my guest today, Ben Sampson, founded his first company when he was in high school, selling organic athletic apparel throughout the state of California. He then went on to join Del Monte as one of the youngest financial analysts at the age of 19 in San Francisco. Soon after, Ben founded his second company, Soul ID, focused on developing social media solutions for athletes and was ranked as one of the fastest growing brands in the sports industry by NBC. Ben was selected as a member of the Teal Summit, so Peter Teal's group, as one of the top entrepreneurs under the age of 20 in the world. With Soul ID, Ben went on to win the North State Future Four Business Competition and was a recipient of the Rollins Award, CSU Chico Entrepreneurship Leader Award, and was awarded the Entrepreneur of the Year by Innovative North State. In 2016, Ben joined Outsell Inc. as a product manager and served on the executive team as the VP of product and head of Outsell for Startups. His job was to build products that make CEOs better, faster, stronger, and to identify and cover the most disruptive startups in the world. Now, in 2019, Ben started WeHero. WeHero gives companies the solutions to accomplish their social mission through powerful giving and volunteer programs to create a better culture, a brand, and a greater social impact. WeHero's mission is to empower 10 million people with the tools to give easily and impactfully. So in today's episode, Ben shares seven tips for how to find product market fit and how he's applied them across his own businesses. In addition, we go deep into his current endeavor, WeHero, the early mistakes they made, teaser, <laughs> one of them involves an illegal, very addictive narcotic, and how the team overcame that pitfall, and uh, how they've adapted in the age of corona. Engaging in actual, you're going to truly enjoy my conversation with Ben Sampson. So let's get to it. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. All right, Ben. Uh, welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited to have you on and hear a little bit more about your story. You've done some impressive things, so uh, excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks. Well, looking forward to it. And, and yeah, thanks for dialing in while you're on one side of the nation, I'm on the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out in California and to New York. So love it. But uh, you know, ben, you've done, you've been, had this entrepreneurial sp spirit since you were, since you were really young. I mean, starting a number of companies before you were even in your twenties and being recognized by Peter Thiel and his foundation for being a, a young entrepreneur that is doing something incredible and, you know, have done a number of different things. So super excited to jump into that, but why don't we take a step back? You've had this, it seems this entrepreneurial um, spirit, where did that come from? And uh, you know, where, where did that develop? Yeah, great question. Um, I have to think it, it came from my parents more than anything. You know, I, I so both my parents are veterinarians, but they own their animal hospital. Um, Ooh, okay. And they worked really hard. I mean, they worked, you know, six, seven days a week. 
would go to the office at seven, would come back at 8.30. My mom uh, still goes to the office at like seven, comes back at like 8.30 at night. And I think just like what was special about that was seeing them wake up and chase their dream, not someone else's. Um, you know, okay. they were working for themselves on their own mission, had their own vision for what their life was going to be like, and, and they owned that. Um, and so I think that stuck with me and, and we grew up on a small working cattle ranch and just had that work ethic. So I think that itch for, for running your own business came from my folks and, uh, it's been something that I've had the desire to do ever since and and continue to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm curious, taking, taking that a a step further, most veterinarians don't own their own animal hospital. They just work in, you know, the, the animal hospitals they work for. So why, where did that come from with your parents? How did you see them take that ownership from just being a veterinarian to being a veterinarian and business owner? Yeah, great question. So my um, parents who both work really hard, they, they have great work ethics themselves. They uh, moved in and started working at this small animal hospital and uh, quickly realized that they were doing majority of the work. So there's a number of other veterinarians, um, but they realized yeah. from a revenue standpoint, they were making the majority of the revenue for the practice. Okay. And so they approached the uh, current owner and they were like, you know what, you really need us to let us purchase this and let us buy you out because we're basically making the majority of the money for this practice. Let us own it. Um, or else we're going to go start our own animal hospital pretty much. And so they're like, and the the owner totally agreed. Like, yeah, it's yours. You can buy it off me and you can run it. And so that's kind of how that happened. And because they just wanted to control their destiny in that way. Nice. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I love that when you, when someone gets really into a profession and realizes the opportunity from being on the ownership side versus just being essentially operator within the business. So that's really cool. So tell me a little bit about like your, your journey, your story um, as an entrepreneur starting out as a kid. Yeah. uh, So like I said, I grew up doing a bunch of odd jobs, working on a, on a little cattle ranch. And so had this work ethic and we just worked all the time as kids. And um, after doing a bunch of odd jobs for different people, I had a similar realization that I wanted to work for myself. And so yeah. I started, you know, thinking of different things. And, you know, at the time I was early in the high school and had the idea to do, you know, an apparel company. And so I was like, you know, yeah. I, I like apparel. I'm really big into sports and, you know, I think I'll start something there. And so my idea was to do organic athletic apparel, like organic apparel at the time, like was not too big of a deal. And so for example, like the shirts were bamboo and organic cotton. Um, And what I did was I ordered and made uh, one shirt. That one shirt cost like $70. Okay. (laughs) And then I I walked into my uh, high school and I had like a yellow legal notepad and I went around to people and I had people like feel the shirt because it was really soft. And I was like, you know, what shirt size are you? Um, you know, what color do you want and pay me 20 bucks and I'll get you one. And at the end of two days, I had 72 pre-orders for shirts nice. <laughs> and that funded my first shirt run. And then I, I continued just making shirts and long story short, we were selling these, these athletic shirts all over throughout California. So that was my first like bug to be an entrepreneur. I initially wanted to be a doctor, was fo- focusing on getting into medical school and pivoted to go to business school because I just fell in love with, with starting companies and business and everything around it. Um, and then in college, uh, this was right around the time that Facebook had just IPO'd. And so yeah. social media was hot. And I think we all remember that time, like everybody and their mom wanted to start a social network um, <laughs> because yeah. that what was, what, what was really exciting. And so we 
with the background I had in the apparel industry focusing on the sports market, we've launched a social network called Soul ID focused on action and adventure sports. And so we worked with brands and companies like NBC and Red Bull and GoPro to help create media channels for them focused on the audience of action and adventure sports athletes. And so that was a ton of fun um, investor backed. We had about 20 people on the team at the, the high point. Um, and so that was like what really got yeah. me involved in the entrepreneurial scene. <laughs> um, and then fast forward a little bit, I had done some other entrepreneurial ventures around doing creative agency work and stuff like that and yeah. helping other people build products. Yeah. I eventually went uh, on to a market research firm helping companies execute their product market strategies. Okay. Um, so I'd work with hundreds of companies helping them find product market fit, um, making sure that their product marketing and management strategies were, were working and that they were building products that were making revenue and, and yeah. also generating a high amount of value. And so, and then today I run a company called We Hero. So a company that I co-founded and we do uh, corporate volunteer and giving programs and we work on technology that makes giving volunteering easy and accessible for everybody. So an example of that is we have a browser extension that every time you open a new tab, there's a small ad banner at the bottom and it's taking that revenue from that ad banner, donating it directly to the nonprofits that you're supporting. So today I woke up and I had an email from that extension that said I had fed four families through Feeding America and had given $20 in aid to AmeriCare is all related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have to open my wallet. That was all free just by browsing the web. And so that's what we do today. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I definitely want to dive into that, to that. I'm, I'm curious how, um, you know, how, how that works specifically, but before we do, I, I do want to jump backwards. Now, most people that start a business in, in high school where they are, are in school, when they like start collecting and it doesn't go beyond their school, like it might run for like a little while, but you said you expanded it all the way to the state of Cal, like throughout the state of California. Like, how did you go about as a, as a kid expanding a business like that? And like, what did you learn through that experience? Yeah. So I, I came into that knowing absolutely nothing. Um, and so like, so it started with me, like I had these shirts and I knew nothing about inventory management. So like, we just literally had like my bedroom at the time was just filled with boxes of shirts. Like if you go into my bedroom, it's just literally all boxes with different colors. And like, I had Sharpie on the side, like these are the larges red. These are the long sleeve black. Like, yeah. So that was, that was my life. And I had a little pickup truck and I would like load those boxes up and I would drive to um, mom and pop, like action adventure sport retailers. So like small okay. versions of like an REI or whatever the big stores are today. Um, so snowboard shops, ski shops, mountain climbing shops. Okay. And I would come in with like two or three shirts and ask to speak with the manager and like, ask like, will you sell these? And I had no idea how to like negotiate terms of like, you know, I'll sell them <laughs> to you at wholesale. Like, do I get commission? I had no idea how that works. And thankfully a few of the owners took me aside and said like, look, kid, like I'll, I'll take some of your shirts and how about this? Uh, you leave them here and, you know, um, we'll pay you this much for every shirt that, that we sell. And this will be like your cut. I'm like, great. And so <laughs> um, I had to learn that the hard way, but eventually figured it out just by falling on my face. And I think people kind of pitied me and took some shirts just so I would, yeah. I would feel better about myself. And um, so for a long time, uh, just kind of drove to little stores like that. Um, and we, we would go to farmer's markets and stuff like that and just anywhere we could sling shirts and, okay. um, there'd be like a race, for example, like a track race. And we had like a friend that knew like who was going to win the track race. And we get like right before the race, I like, gave them all like free shirts and then they won the race in our shirts. And then we sold like a hundred shirts after that race. <laughs> <laughs> so just like, 
hustling like that and just doing falling on your face over and over again. So I don't know if that answers your question, Will, but yeah, no, no, definitely. Definitely. That's, that's awesome. And, and it sounds like you've taken that same sort of like, you know, getting into the dirt and weeds and like applying that to your, to your other businesses. So like, talk to me about that transition, how you've used some of the skills that you learned of like hustling and just going after it into what you're doing today. Yeah, I think um, I quickly picked up falling on your face and, and getting up <laughs> quickly. And so just the fail fast mentality, I picked up really fast. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it's, I think about it like riding a bike, right? Like you could read um, yeah. a book on how to ride a bike, or you could just start riding the bike and falling numerous times, but you're, and you're going to learn how to ride the bike, bike faster if you just fall. Um, yeah. That was my mentality with these businesses and something I've carried forward into all my ventures. And um oftentimes we're just failing constantly and just having the grit to like get up and brush yourself off. And sometimes they're really embarrassing. And, but what's, what's come out of that is um, customer funded product development. And that's just a fancy way of saying that, you know, instead of us, you know, building something and then hoping that people are going to buy it, we wait to see that there's interest. And then if people give us money to do it, we will then build it and do it. And so that way there's no lack, we're not, you know, investing in something that has no proof of ROI, yeah. um, no proof of value. We're building something that we know people need and then we can resell it after that. And I think that's what's come out of that, those failures the most is that customer fund development like that. Interesting. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a really you know, interesting point that you bring up because a lot of people are like, oh, I've got this great idea for a product and they build something without realize, like figuring out if there's a demand or if there's actually a need or a want for it. So like, talk to me a little bit about that and, and specifically how that applies to WeHero and what you're doing now. Yeah. So it's just around, so I, I, I think of it as product market fit, like people yeah. all the time just miss that. Um, I wrote an article recently around six tips for finding product market fit. Cause at this time where people are shelter in place, staying home, yeah. um, a lot of folks, they're starting side businesses as they should. And you have folks that are losing their jobs and they're trying to go out on their own. It's one of the reasons why Shopify stock prices gone up like 70 to 80% in the last month um, because yeah. starting new online businesses. But where people fall short majority of the time is they get so excited about an idea, whether it be an application or they're selling a new pair of revolutionary tennis shoes or something like that, yeah. um, that they forget to adjust and survey the market to see if there's an actual need. Um, will people actually spend money for this? And so uh, and the result of that, unfortunately, is that they waste months of their time, sometimes years, and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. I've seen some really rough stories where people have invested, you know, their life savings only to find that what they built was not even close to what people actually want or needed. Yeah. Um, so I talk often about, you know, uh, surveying your audience early and often, making sure that you talk to 100 folks and survey them to make sure there's an actual need for your product. Um, you know, asking yourself the hard questions, is this a painkiller? Like, because painkillers are much easier to sell than enhancements, right? When it comes to just products, yeah. um, is this the right timing to do this? How much is this realistically going to cost me at challenging yourself is really hard sometimes. Um, but it forces you to think through those challenging questions and be your own devil's advocate to make sure what you're building is actually going to be successful. Um, and then yeah. there's other things as well, such as instead of just going straight to, let's say app development, cause you have this big social media application that you're going to build and it's going to just take over the world like Instagram did. Um, so instead of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on development, cause you're going to hire all these contracted developers on Upwork or wherever it is, just start by designing out a prototype, um, and sharing that prototype with the same hundred folks that you surveyed and making sure that people actually want to use it, that people actually love the design and you can make tweaks in advance. So simple things to find product market fit, 
to make sure that when you do actually go out and launch that product, there's a high probability that it will be successful, that it'll make you money and it will give value to the end audience. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you, you want to make sure that you've got, you build something that people want and that you don't waste your time and product market fit is, you know, a, a key piece, especially early on. You know, there's the, that, that Steve Jobs quote that he hates, you know, hated market research. How do you compare that sort of mentality with product market fit? Like, how do you weigh those, that type of perspective? I've come from the market research space, so I've, I've, I've answered this question before, but I'm curious <laughs> to get your take on it. Yeah, I think there's a fine balance, right? There's like, there's innovation, which is this loaded word <laughs> of like, yeah. you know, the end user doesn't really know what they want. Um, but you can't leap too far forward. Like Jobs, I think like, you know, he's a, a very special individual. I think most of us don't have that much wisdom and insight into the future of what the world's going to look like from a technology landscape. But I think what you can do is one, understand like what the user actually needs and desires, what their problems are. Yeah. And build them that, but then also think about new innovative ways to take it a step further. Um, some I like it. Airbnb has a really interesting model. They have what they call the 11 star experience. And so they talk about everything it takes to create a five star experience, but then they get really wild. They're like, what would make it a six star experience? What would make it a seven star experience? So like a, a 11 star experience might be you get to your Airbnb and then you're greeted with like strawberries and chocolate. And then they roll out a red carpet for you and you're brought in on an elephant. Now these are all like wild, crazy ideas. Yeah, yeah. But the idea is that you get really creative and one, you're solving the problem, but two, you've just added just enough to make it an exceptional experience to help you compete even better in the market to make something exciting and generate word of mouth. And so I think to your point, well, I think it's like finding that balance, um, understanding what the needs and the problems are, and then seeing if you could take it a step further, but not doing being totally out there to like taking a massive risk. Yeah. No, I like the way that you put that. And you're right. Innovation is such a loaded word, right? There's, there's iteration that often gets pined as, as, as uh, innovation where, you know, when you're just making small improvements versus just completely coming up with something that's wild and new that no one's ever seen. Those are two very different ventures and different styles of businesses. So yeah, I like the way that you, you put that of, of um, you know, finding just that extra little step, that little thing that makes you different or makes your product or service unique. Yeah. So, yeah, so. how did you apply that to WeHero and building what, what you guys have built now? Like what, what you guys are building right now? Yeah, great question. So um, I'll talk about it from the, the browser extension. Uh, again, this is like a, an extension that you download on Chrome or Firefox and instantly just transforms your new, patch, new tab page. So that every time you open a new tab, you have this background image and ad at the bottom and you choose the nonprofits you want to support. And every time you open a new tab, you're just raising money for free for those nonprofits and you get to see that impact. Um, but that wasn't the initial goal of that product. Um, the initial okay. goal of that product was to build a very large consumer facing application, right? Um, to make the idea was to make giving easy and accessible for all. Um, sure. Now we went through that kind of that process I told you before about surveying people, designing a prototype, you know, asking ourselves like the really hard questions and what came, what it came down to is that it's going to be really challenging to get, have people get their wallet out to do use a consumer facing application when the app market's already so diluted. And so what we did is we actually pivoted and looked at something that would be really lightweight that people would be able to effortlessly install. And then also we thought about what is the real MVP or the real minimal viable product. It's not this massive application with 20 features to make yeah. the ultimate giving experience. 
it's just something simple where people can effortlessly install it and start making an impact with something they do every day. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we went through that process of finding product market fit. And the piece that we took it a step further is like, you know, what would be really crazy is if as people browse the web, we sent them an email every week that showed the actual tangible impact that their web browsing made. And so today I was telling you about that email. I could see like how I fed four families. I could see how many trees that I actually planted. I could see the amount of aid that I donated through with AmeriCares and like, a lot of people don't have that visibility today. Um, yeah. And it's like consumer giving goes down 1% year over year. And that's just due to trust and people not seeing where their money's going. And so, mm. but that's kind of how we took the experience a step further. It's like, let us show you like what, what a little bit of money and just a little bit of time can do just without yeah. even getting your wallet out. Yeah, that's awesome. So how does, how does that work exactly? Right. I, I just browse the internet like I normally do and it's going to feed families and all that kind of stuff. Like how does that, how does it work? Yeah. Great question. So first do we just download it on Chrome or Firefox. Um, again, it's hundred percent free. And then what would happen is every time you open like a new tab in Chrome, mm-hmm. it would just have a, a big background image. So there, there's like different just nature images and stuff like that. At the very bottom of that page, there's a small banner ad and that's run through Google AdSense. And so okay. every time you're opening a new tab, um, it's taking that ad revenue from the impressions uh, that are on the page and it donates that directly to the nonprofits that you chose to support. And so, okay. and it shows you the amount of money that you're raising too. So it, um, as you're opening new tabs, there's a little tracker and it's like, you've raised like five cents, you know, 10 cents and it keeps going up and up and it can show you, and it shows you the total number of tabs you open. So I'll read you mine right now, Will. So I'm opening my new tab. So I've opened total since I've been using the extension 4,787 tabs. <laughs> <laughs> so, cause I'm on the web all the time. Um, yeah. but I've raised $24 and 46 cents. Um, and so I can see nice. that. And then I can also see like just the impact that I, I made doing that. And so, um, does that help kind of explain how it works yeah. though? And where, where that money comes from and why you don't have to spend any money to use it? Yeah. Yeah. So you're essentially choosing to see an ad on your browser and that ad revenue for that specific ad is what is being donated. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So how did you pivot? How did you real, at what point did you realize, Hey, you know what, this consumer facing app that makes giving easier, isn't going to work. And we've got to go to focus on the B2B side and this, this uh, browser extension. Like talk me through that process. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, a couple of things during our product market fit analysis um, made us realize that one, when we started surveying people, we surveyed about a hundred people. We realized that, um, you know, a good chunk of people were hesitant to install any kind of new application. Like they only use, most people only use four to five mobile apps on their phone. Mm-hmm. Additionally, um, it w- how for the mobile app to work and actually raise um, support and, and impact for nonprofits, it would require you to provide your credit card information. And anytime you build an application that requires credit card information, that's really <laughs> challenging, really challenging. Um, another thing that was a tipping point for us is understanding what our goals were for the application, which was to empower as many people as possible to make impact and to generate the greatest amount of impact possible. Um, the, the time and the amount of money it would take to build a mobile application was far more extensive than the time amount of money it would take to build a browser extension. And the extension became our, again, our, our real MVP and a way for us to test feasibility to see if people would install it. 
um, okay. to see if people enjoyed the experience. Because again, it, it takes far less time and energy and, and money to, to build that out. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we got to those were those, those points, those turning points where we realized like that's the direction we should go and see if this actually works. Um, so there's, there's a number of those moments, but those were kind of the big ones. Gotcha. No, yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. And actually taking the feedback that you're getting and, and implementing it, I think is another key, another key piece. So if you're going to advise someone that maybe has started a company right now, or they're thinking about starting one and they're trying to figure out product market fit, what would be your advice of steps that they should take so that they can successfully get product market fit before they go out and spend, as you said, tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars and waste all this time and energy uh, yep. on something that, that no one wants. Cool. I'll give like six steps and you can trim these well if they're too long and cool. extensive, yeah. but I'll be brief with them. Um, so six steps for finding product market fit, I think. One, the first and foremost, ask yourself the really hard questions. Like ask, be your own devil's advocate. You're going to be really excited about an idea. You're sitting at home watching Netflix. You went, boom, I got an idea. This is going to work. Yeah. Um, do your research, ask the hard questions. What are those hard questions? How is this providing value? Is the timing right for this? What does the competitive landscape look like for me? How much money do, is this realistically going to take? Yeah. Am I okay devoting six to 12 months of my life to do this? Um, you know, what is the true actual value that this would provide to folks that would use the application or the product? Yeah. Asking yourself those, those questions are hard and because you, you want, you're so excited that you almost don't want to face those hard questions. I've been there. I, I only know this because I've fallen on my face launching products that I was really excited about. And I, <laughs> I didn't want people to tell me it was a bad idea. Um, and I didn't want to tell myself it was a bad idea. So do you have an example of one of those? cut oh, you off God. i know on your on your six your six product market fits but i'm just curious if you've got an example <laughs> oh my gosh Let, let's see here um you know i i think of really there's so many will <laughs> <laughs> um i think a, a couple of them one like a podcast for example i I've tried okay. a podcast before i didn't think through it like you like what you're doing you're providing unique content at the time i don't think i was providing really unique content but i also didn't ask my question i, I was more so excited about the novelty of starting the podcast okay. rather than the content and the why and the value that it was going to provide um that's one of many examples i've had uh products for businesses that i've tried launching that were absolute failures so like at okay. past ventures like soul id you know, we wanted to start like a media group on top of like the social networking business that we had. Um, again, the media group thought it was a really just cool <laughs> idea. Like just like, oh my gosh, we'll have a media group and we'll shoot content for people and we'll get paid to do it. Yeah. No market research, like no asking myself the hard questions only to find that I wasted a couple months doing that and it, it was an absolute flop. Um, and so like I've been through those, those failures. Gotcha. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. No, yeah. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate you opening up Ben. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I will be as honest as you want me to be. <laughs> um, but on the product market fit side, so step one, ask yourself the hard questions. Step two, survey, survey, survey. Like a lot of people, some people come up to me and they go like, Ben, I get the survey thing. I don't have like a hundred people to like reach out to. That's okay. Like set up a survey monkey or just Google forms. I do Google forms and just do 10 questions. Um, and 10 questions that will really challenge if people want to like use this product and if they see yeah. value for it. Um, and uh, how do you get 100 people? Slack groups are fantastic. There's a ton of Slack communities that you can use that are totally free. 
also Facebook groups. So not only do you have your friends and family, but you have all these online resources that you can use to find yeah. groups of people that might be interested in your product. Ask them. People are really a lot more open than you think. If you ask them that you have an idea and you just love people's thoughts, a lot of people will fill out that survey. I think our first one, we had like 126 respondents. Um, I don't know that many people. So, so yeah, <laughs> um, it was through like strangers and groups that we, we found those folks. Um, so survey, survey, survey. The next thing is, is, you know, once you are able to gauge interest based off your service, so you've done the survey, people are really interested. Oh my gosh. Like, well, this is a great idea. Like I would love to see you do this survey is brilliant everybody responds positively. The next step is to see if people will actually get their wallet out. Like if you're selling a physical product, you want to see if people will actually getting your wallet out. Like yeah. there's a difference between yes, I love this. And yes, I love this. I'll give you $10 for it. There's yeah. a huge difference. And so a great way to test that is building a simple landing page, explaining your product on that landing page. So just a simple web page. Um, and then having a buy now button, a download button or a fill out this form button. So depending on the product that you're offering. Yeah. The goal of that is you do some light advertising. So just $10 a day for something on AdWords, push people to your website, total strangers, and see if they'll click that buy now button, that download button. And yeah. when they click that, you don't have a product to sell yet, but you can tell them, thank you so much for your interest in X product. We're working on it. Please get, provide your email. And we'll let you know as soon as it arrives. What you've done is figured out that, okay, people will actually download this. They'll actually hit the buy now button and spend money on this. And if there's a good return on that or a good hit rate on that, it proves that there's, there's some product market fit there. That's awesome. And so yeah. great way to test. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Super, super simple. Makes a ton of sense. Actually yep. see if people will pull their wallets out, as you said. Yeah. The, again, the difference between yes and yes, I'll give you $10. is massive. <laughs> people want to please you. Like if you have an idea, people want to support you and get behind it, but people have a hard time being honest. And so you yeah. use like the real world to leverage some of that honesty. So, so that's, that's step number three. Step number four is, is prototype. A lot of people jump straight to, if it's an app development and they start spending the thousands of dollars it takes to build out the application. Um, yeah. you know, other people, if it's like they're launching a water bottle company, for example, they go straight to buying the first thousand water bottles. Um, you know, that's costs a lot of money. Um, and yeah. you, yes, you've had positive responses on your surveys and your tests, but people haven't seen the actual product yet. So we don't really know if people really want it. Um, yeah. So prototyping is huge. So design a prototype of your application. There's amazing tools like InVision, for example you're doing a physical product, order samples of your prototype. I talked to you about the shirts, right? Starting the apparel company. Yeah. I had one shirt and then I walked into high school with a yellow legal pad <laughs> and I took 72 pre-orders down. But just by doing the prototype, I wasn't out like a couple thousand dollars on all those shirts. I had the money in hand first and then went and bought the shirts. Yeah. Um, so very similar kind of a mindset. Um, so yeah, do the prototype and, and it saves you so much time and energy because if people don't like the design of your app, for example, you can go pivot and make adjustments. If people don't like the look and feel of your product, your shirt, your water bottle, you can go back and make adjustments before investing all that time and money. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's number four. Five is redundant. It's survey again after the prototype. <laughs> Do the prototype, ask people again, go back to that same audience of 100 plus people, yeah. get their take on the actual tangible prototype. And then step six is building what I was talking to you about, the real MVP, like what's the minimal, actual minimal vial product. It's not this 20 feature thing that we've designed out. <laughs> yeah. It's not this, this, this Swiss army knife, with like 10 different functions, 
um, what's the one thing that's going to give people value that's going to be low cost um, to build out? And that's going to take us a short amount of time so we can actually see if people will use this. So that's the, the final step is building out the real MVP. So I don't yeah. know if that helps, Will. No, very helpful. Thank you, Ben, for yeah laying that out. I think it, it gives a roadmap of, of how folks can actually start something, build a product, make sure to test it. I say build a product, but I mean, you know, go through those steps that you said of prototype survey and get that feedback so they don't end up wasting a ton of time and energy on something that seemed like a good idea at 2 a.m. while they were watching yeah. Tiger King or whatever, whatever's <laughs> yeah. on TV right now. So um, <laughs> we've all I'm been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, it's, it's, it's natural. I mean, that's, that's what happens when you watch Joe Exotic. But um, so anyway, I, I'm curious though, Ben, in terms of like, how's that process been and applying it to We Heroes specifically? So you guys went through that process. You said the browser extension was sort of like your MVP, proving product market fit. Like, what does that process look like specifically within your business and what, what you guys are doing at We Hero? So kind of like, are you asking more? So what we're doing in the future now moving forward? Yeah, exactly. So like, it seems like, and it seems like you guys have found that product market fit. You were able to use that MVP. Like, what do you, where do you go from there? Um, and like, actually you know, now that I found it, now what do I do? Yeah, great question. So as you start getting clients or users or customers, um, you're building a tribe or an audience or a community of people that are using something that you've created. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. One from w whether it's a revenue generation standpoint or a user download standpoint, <laughs> but it's also, again, useful for garnering data and asking your audience of clients or users, mm -hmm. what are their gaps, what are their problems, what are their needs? You know, one of the things that we figured out quickly is, is that corporations struggle with their corporate giving and volunteer programs. So not only is there this consumer gap of trust with nonprofits and giving, like corporations struggle with those very same challenges just on a grander scale. And so as an extension of what we do on the technology side and trying to empower as many people to give easily, um, we're helping companies do the very same thing. And so we okay. do corporate volunteering giving programs for a number of companies now. Um, just helping them through those challenges. And that all comes from just those early steps of, again, building out that audience, that client base. And then again, go, I, you hear me say survey a million times, survey <laughs> them, asking them, having real conversations with them and, and figure out problems um, yeah. and then building new products. And I think a really good venture will have a core product and then through identifying different opportunities and problems and gaps that people are having, building auxiliary products off of those that continue to drive revenue. Um, I think it's, that's what we focus a lot of our time on and, and make okay. sure that we're focused and accomplishing those goals for our audience. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Ben. So I guess one thing that we skipped out on is why were you focused on creating a better way for people to give? Like when I think about like the mission or vision behind We Hero, like we kind of glossed over that. Like I, on the surface, it's like, yeah, that sounds great, like support nonprofits and charities, but like what, like what causes you to go start a business to actually help that happen and solve that problem? Yeah. Awesome question. Um, so the backstory was I was working in market research and consulting at the time, helping companies with their products. And yeah. I had a brother, his name's Bryce, who's very talented on the technology side. So he's a full stack engineer. And every year we were donating a sum of money to a nonprofit that we chose, just something that we tried to do sometimes around the holidays. We had like a little side venture here and there where we would donate some money as well. And um, we were confronted with an experience that everyone was being confronted with when they tried to donate money, which is you donate that money, um, you receive a thank you email, 
and you get asked for more money and you just don't see where <laughs> any of the money that you just gave them goes. And that was, that was a consistent experience. And that's why people are, have lost a lot of trust in, in giving to nonprofits is just, they don't have the transparency. Yeah. And so this idea came to us because we were like, this shouldn't be happening. Like let's build some technology that makes showing people the impact easy. Um, and that encourages the game in really easy and effortless ways. And that's kind of like this experiment that we started working on. Okay. And so, and I've had my fair share of embarrassments just in that experiment stage. Something funny is we decided the first name, the company hero Inc, which is if you put the words together, it's, it spells out heroin C essentially. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so So again, that the mentality of falling on your face, I've definitely had a, a lot of embarrassing moments. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. uh, change the name to We Hero. Much better name anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, yeah. That could, yeah, that could uh, definitely lead you down some wrong paths. Heroin, oh. heroin C, yeah. Oh. Totally. oh, my gosh. So funny. So, but, um, but that's how we got started was like trying to okay. solve that problem. And also, you know, we early on realized too that companies were having a similar issue. Like employees, one, one out of every three employees during an interview, they ask about what a company does to give back on a social level. It's like really top of mind for folks these days. Um, and companies were struggling doing what they call high impact volunteer programs. Every time they did a volunteer event, they just felt like it was busy work, you know, just keeping them occupied and making them feel like they're giving back. But the, the truth of the matter is that it wasn't really a high impact volunteer experience or a giving experience for that matter. And so, um, so that's how the experiment started and, and we started building and just kept our heads down and, and, and got after it. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. So, What's it been like? So your your brother Bryce is a part of the it's it's you two part of the business that that started the business. Like, what's it been like working with him and just in general building out um, We Hero? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So um, we started working on I would call like the core technology, and as we started expanding the business, like we needed to work on other products um, and we needed to bring on more people to help us. And so we have other partners in the business now that have been absolutely essential. So we have a saleswoman, for example, named Lisa, who really helps us get in front of companies and helps us convey like the value that we can bring at the corporate level. Um, We have another partner named Andy, for example, and he's really in charge of like a lot of our consumer facing experiences as well as like our operations and processes in the company. Um, One of the things that we do for companies is we ship volunteer experiences in huge We Hero boxes to companies and, and um, today we have to ship them to people's homes. And there's a lot of logistics <laughs> and operations that we need help with. And he helps us a lot with that. And so uh, it started with just Bryce and I working on it. And today we have like a small team of about seven to eight people that, you know, are doing this and, and working hard to just make this happen and, and accomplish the mission. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that, Ben. I love that, Ben. So what's like, what does the future look like with WeHero? Like when you think about where you are five, 10 years, like what's, what's the goal? Where do you, where do you see the business going? Yeah, great question. I, um, our mission is to empower 10 million people with the tools to give easily and impactfully. So that's really our goal. And that's what we set out to do. And whether that's through a browser extension, a mobile application, like easy to use and easy to set up like volunteer experiences, like we just want people to have like the opportunity that if they want to give back, we, that should be really easy to do and should make an impact. And so our goal is to hit that 10 million mark and we're actively tracking that. Um, and so, and then from a growth standpoint, like our company, we, well, we can talk about COVID-19, but up until <laughs> COVID-19, we were growing just over 20% month over month. And so we looked at the continued growth rate for the company for the next four to five years. 
um, and how we continue to growing at that rate. And so that's definitely a big focus of ours, just to make sure we can scale up enabling yeah. people to give and volunteer with, with ease. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So Ben, what's the best and worst part of entrepreneurship to you? Um, oh, great question. So the best part is the freedom. Um, like, you know, I work 60 to 80 hours a week, but that's just by choice, just cause I enjoy it. And you have the freedom to own and manage like your mission and your goals and your vision for the company, but also for yourself and your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so that's really, really key. And so, um, that's probably the number one thing. Number two on what's the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah. Just um, worst part, hardest. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> the worst part is sometimes at the early stages, it can be really lonely okay. and that can be challenging. Additionally, like you don't have the financial support that you would have in a company. So for example, when I was working for a company, I had their financial source resources to draw off of. I had their audience to draw off of. I had their team to draw off of. And when you're on your own, you're on your own. Um, yeah. and, and your money is your money that you're using to do it unless you have outside investment. And so that can be really challenging sometimes. Um, and sometimes you feel like you're all, all alone in a room just getting torn apart. Then there's really bad days. There's just really bad days sometimes. Um, an example of like a bad day is like when COVID-19 happened is uh, we had corporate volunteer events, like really big ones. And as you know, offices started closing and large events could no longer move forward. Um, that piece of our business had massive amounts of cancellations and postponements all within like 48 to 72 hours. Yeah. And so, and sometimes you feel like you're the only one <laughs> getting impacted by that. And so, and a lot of people obviously were impacted by what happened, but there's rough days and yeah. And you just have to remember that there's really hard days and there's really good days. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. What about you personally as, as an entrepreneur or just in general, what are your specific dreams, goals, and targets when you think about like, you know, where you want to be and the skills that you want to develop and where you see yourself in the future? Yeah. I think um, a big goal for me is to keep doing this. Like this makes me exceptionally happy. So that's like a big thing. So if I could keep doing this for the next 50 years, whether it's with WeHero or another company, ideally it's with WeHero because I'm very happy doing this <laughs> right now. Um, and I think we're doing really good. Uh, that's like the ultimate dream. It's just like to have yeah. that lifestyle to wake up and get out of bed, being really excited about what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, I think like I'm happy with forward moving momentum. So if I'm constantly learning something new about a new industry, or new space, I, that gets me really excited. So I think that's the end goal to keep doing this and just not stopping or slowing down for any reason. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So I don't have like this vision to be like, you know, governor of California or king of the world. So I <laughs> like a milestone like that. It's just the progressive infinite game of continuing to grow. Gotcha. Okay. So I can't announce you for, uh, for governor for 2022 or whatever the next California no, yeah. governor race yeah. is. Take no. me off the ballot. Don't bring me up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to I wanna transition a little bit. So uh, my focus is on personal finance specifically and breaking, around, breaking down some of the taboos and helping improve financial well-being. And I found that there's no better place to talk about this than with entrepreneurs and folks that have to face this both in their business and in their lives. So I'm curious how you, Ben, would describe your relationship with money. Yeah, um, I think of it as a tool more than anything. Um, and so like, I, I think about it as like, you have this asset, just call it an asset. And the job is to have it go out and drive more value or drive more return in some way, shape or form. 
And so I think of it as a total drive, some kind of social good value, whether it's through donations or investing in products that can do good, but also making sure you're taking care of yourself and future family. And, and you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it can be challenging to be poor and it's almost like selfish. Like you have an opportunity like to go out every day and drive return and value to make sure that your life is okay, that others' lives that you care about are okay. Um, so I think of it very much as a tool okay. more than anything. Okay. Have you always had that mindset about money or is that something that you've developed as you've grown as a, as a, as an entrepreneur and as a person? Yeah, definitely. As I've, as I've grown, I remember, you know, I've had points in time where I've just been extremely broke. I remember moving at one point into a house and <laughs> I had like no money in my bank account and I had a credit card that was maxed out and had like a hundred dollars left on the credit limit on the card. And I was waiting for my first paycheck. And so like, and then the day that first paycheck came, I was like, thank God I could buy like groceries that day. <laughs> and so that was a point of my life where just like my relationship with money was just like, I just needed it. And I would do anything I could to get it yeah. um, legally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> and, but today with like being smarter with business and, and building things that drive revenue and, you know, um, it's just, I think of it more as a tool now um, gotcha. with yeah. goals around that, those financially. Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So what's the best investment you've made? Great question. I think it's constantly into myself and, and into businesses. So like We Hero started as like personal investment from myself. Now it has revenue that sustains the business. But it started with me investing thousands of dollars of my own money to get it up and off the ground. Yeah. Um, like it was an investment in one, my happiness, two, a, a dream of mine and a vision of mine. And and three, and, and something that could create a lifestyle and a, and a job for myself. Um, so those investments, they're big leaps, um, but those are the investments that pay dividends for because it's not just paying financial dividends, it's paying lifestyle dividends and time dividends and, and, so, um, and happiness dividends, if you will. Yeah. So those are like the really important investments. So okay. um, if you want, I'll show you my stock portfolio outside of that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to, but yeah, no need to do that. But yeah, no, I, I like that. I'm curious what, uh, yeah, what, what your response is. Cause a lot of times I find that it has nothing to do with an asset or some stock that they bought or someone, something like that. It usually has to do with, as you said, an investment in yourself or investment in something that enables you or enables you to, to do something that makes you happy. So yeah. Now on the flip side, what's the dumbest money mistake that you've made, Ben? Oh, there's tons like where where do, where do i start so <laughs> like um i get i get car fever sometimes and what i mean by car fever is like when i started getting like steady paychecks a couple of years ago <laughs> and like you know like I had some money i was like i'm gonna buy a sports car so i bought like a a nice gt mustang whatever it was right and i had <laughs> yeah. it for like three months and just went like this does not work with my lifestyle and sold it and so um, and then I was at a point in time where like, I wanted to buy like my dream truck. So like I bought like a fully loaded, like, you know, dream truck. Yeah. And you know, every time you buy something like that and then have the payments and then you decide to sell it, you, you lose all of the taxes that in registration that you had to pay for that vehicle, any kind of depreciation on that vehicle. So you wind up losing thousands of dollars every time that you do that. And so, um, lessons learned so that's just like one of yeah. probably many financial you know when i first started another one is when i first started investing in the stock market 
Okay. I was, you know, selling way too early. I wasn't holding stocks through dips because I was scared and anxious and I was on the opposite of the scale. I, I, I was selling when it was going down and I was buying when it was going up. <laughs> and so just like the, you know, door head moves that you just don't know. And, and so, but today mindset's totally different. I've been buying as much as I can as everything went down and then, you know, selling at the right times when, as things go up. And so, but just dumb mistakes like that. Those are probably some of the, the, the better ones I've made. Yeah. So how did you, how did you learn? Is it just making the mistakes or, you know, for example, like the stocks, was it just, did you start reading? Did you start educating yourself? I'm curious, like how you shifted your mindset and your perspective. Yeah. So for the investing, I was actually really interested in it when I was in college. So I joined like, there's a club on campus called the investors club. Okay. And so I didn't know a lot about investing. Like, um, uh, my, my dad would watch like CNBC every morning when I was a kid. So I'd like, I knew a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I had seen Jim, Jim Cramer numerous of times. On TV. <laughs> yeah. So, but that was yeah, like the buy buttons and yeah, all that stuff. Bye, yeah. Bye, bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was like the extent of, um, of like my knowledge there. And so what I did was I went and joined this club and learned a massive amount. I, I mm. stuff that I had no clue about. And so, I started slowly investing just small amounts of money, like a hundred dollars, $200 and just playing with it. Um, and just learning as I went and yeah. just, that's how it, how it all started. And just having a community of people to ask questions to and talk to them about this for things I, I had no idea about. And so, um, so that's how I got started and just teaching myself and, you know, when you're young, at least like you can make mistakes and rebound quickly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, especially with small amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's easier to go. Yeah. If you're not too far off the ground, it's easy to go down to zero and go back up again than it is. If you're, you know, you made a bunch of money and then lose it all. That's a little bit more of a swing. So exactly. Exactly. Cool. Ben, I'm curious in, in your mind, what's the biggest challenge facing everyday Americans when it comes to finances? Um, I think there's two that, that come to mind right away when you say that. This is the first one's kind of dependent on the area that you live. Um, but for us, I, I'm out in the San Francisco Bay area. Yeah. Um, my age group or category of individuals, so young professionals, are incredibly challenged with um, buying a home, for example. So yeah. I, out here, none of my friends, any of my connections can buy a home. And that results in us you know, literally burning cash every month on rent which is okay, but the hard part is the time it takes to save enough money to actually buy the home in the first place. I mean, just you know, yeah. HOA and property taxes alone cost a fortune out here. And so that's incredibly challenging. And I know it's challenging a number of folks in my network just because they are spending that much money on rent out here. They yeah. don't have an investment. And it's literally, I, I talked about it's like, it's literally putting cash in a barrel and burning it. So that comes to mind right away. And again, that's very dependent on the area that you live. I imagine it's, it's quite similar in New York where you're at, Will. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, I know people that spend way too much money on rent and do all that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's really challenging to buy a home unless you're willing to go out into the boonies, so to speak. Yep. I think another thing that's, that's challenging right now for a lot of people is we live in an age now where we have access to choice, meaning there's so many different options available to us. And that we have instant gratification. So purchasing things, whether it be digital or like I have like Prime Now, for example, mm -hmm. buying things has become incredibly easy to do. 
Um, I think you know most people have four credit cards, or at least most folks that I know. Um, I know a lot of people on average have between five to eight thousand dollars in credit card debt, and I think a big portion of that's just because it's so easy to buy today. I have my credit card saved in so many different areas, like on Amazon and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so spending money is incredibly easy to do these days, and again, just because there's so much choice available to us, and it's everything's so fast today. There's so much instant gratification, and it feels so good. Yeah. Um, so I think you know, consumer credit card debt, it, it's challenging to manage because um, there's so many different impulses for buying. Um, yeah. So I, I face them sometimes. Like I, I have to go, you know, don't buy it. You don't, you don't need that. You don't need that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've, same thing. I sometimes find just like, let me put it in a cart. Like if it's online, like put it in a cart, I'll come back to it tomorrow. And if I still want it tomorrow or two days or however many days, depending on how big the purchase is, and usually during that time, it's like, you know what? I don't really need this or, you know, that sort of thing. That's so. a great idea. I was talking to a friend of mine. He tries to only buy things one day of the week. So online purchases, food purchases, everything happens one day of the week. So if he finds something that he really wants on Wednesday, he has to wait until Saturday to like be able to purchase it. Oh, interesting. Okay. And by the time Saturday rolls around, he goes like, I don't, I don't really need that. I, di- I don't know why I wanted that so bad in the moment, but I don't <laughs> really need that. So, uh, but the card idea that you talked about, that's a great idea too. But I think a lot of people are challenged with that. I think a lot of people have a hard time stopping the spend. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, if you think about it, every marketing message, everything that you see is spend, 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 you deserve it. You know, you, you're worth it. Treat yourself. Like that's, that's the society that we live in. And like, if you look at our economy right now, when people stop spending money, and they can't go to work, they can't do stuff, you know, like it, it, it kind of crashes. So that's how we built and structured our society. So it's, it's not only just disciplining yourself, which, you know, it's, that's hard to do, but also just going against the way that we've set up our culture and society. Yep. So exactly, exactly. But yeah, well, Ben, this has been a, a lot of fun. Um, I'll leave you the floor. If there's anything that you specifically want to tell the audience about how they can connect with you, we hero support what you're doing um, and, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, a number of ways to connect with me and with we hero, our website, we hero.co. I highly recommend downloading the extension. Again, we've talked about a lot on the show. It's free. It makes an impact. You do a lot of good just with your web browsing. Um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Uh, we hero.co again as our website, you can find me on LinkedIn, super easy. If you just search Ben Sampson, I'll be the first one that probably comes up. Um, I'm also on any kind of the social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So find me any of those places, but um, and then also on our website, you can contact us directly and then someone on our team will forward any kind of email you sent to me. So feel free to reach out to us that way. And then also on the website, um, in the bottom right-hand corner, a little dog will pop up. His name's Kai. Feel free to just shoot us a chat there and you can say hi there as well. <laughs> nice. Love that. I love that. <laughs> well, awesome, Ben. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is a lot of fun and thanks for diving into product market fit and then everything that you're doing at WeHero and, and story. It's been really, really fun. Thanks, Will. Can't, can't wait to hear the show. And um, yeah, it was awesome. So thanks for having me on. It was just great talking to you. I think you're, you're giving people a lot of value. So really appreciate what you do. <laughs> well, appreciate it, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Talk to you soon. All right. So that concludes my conversation with Ben Sampson, co-founder of WeHero. What I really loved about today's conversation is that Ben went really deep into actionable advice that you can apply to finding product market fit. Product market fit is so incredibly crucial to your business. If you don't get it right early on, you're going to waste a bunch of time and money and uh, have nothing to show for it at the end. So 
really, really important to take that to note, survey, survey, survey. And I think the other thing to note is it's really important to understand if you're building something that is truly innovative, meaning something no one's ever seen before. So think back before the car and all that stuff when people were riding horses. So a faster horse versus a car, right? If you ask people that only knew things about horses, they would be like, what, what are you talking about? A metal box on wheels? Are you crazy? So I think that is something really important. And most of the time, people are creating things that are incremental improvements, which have a ton of value, but you can get a lot of value out of doing market research and surveying your potential audience and getting their pain points. So hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. If you have not already, please like and subscribe to the Silicon Alley podcast so you get notified when a new episode drops every Friday. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with others that you think would get value. There's definitely a lot of really good stuff in here, so please share and spread the love. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley podcast. Thank you so much for being a listener and have a great day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle.